Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Just thank you again for, for all that you've given us, Father, for the grace that you've shown us, the love that you've shown us, God. And we thank you that, uh, that you've given us this, this family, Father, this family of believers. Whether or not we're all on good terms with each other all the time, Father, you've given us family that loves one another regardless, just the way that you love us. So, Father, I just pray that you would bless each one that's here, each one that's listening now or later on. And, God, I just pray that you'd be with the Mobby family, the Henderson family, all the associated families, Father, that right now you would be providing comfort to them, comfort to the extended church family, Father, um, as we, we, we mourn the loss of Gail, Father, but we also celebrate that she is now with you. And, Father, we pray for, for those in need, Jeanette Mormon, Linda Nelson, and others, um, Lionel. Uh, there are others that I know I'm, I'm forgetting right now, Father, but I just pray that you'd be with those who have physical needs today, Father, that you would bless them and you'd let them know that they're not alone, that you still love them, and that you'd use them in, in their current situation. So, Father, I just pray that over those people, and I, I just pray that you would help my words be your words today, Father, that everything that I speak would come from you. In your name, amen. So, we're going to dive in. We are in Acts 15. We're continuing on in Acts here. We're in Acts 15 today, and we're looking at verses 1 to 21. And before I read this, um, I'm just going to make mention that I, I uh, relied heavily on a commentary from Dr. Dean Pinter, one of my um, professors in college. Um, he has a commentary on Acts, and so I, I relied heavily on that. So, Dean, if you're ever listening to this, Thank you, because it was really insightful. So, we, we often romanticize the early church. We look at it and talk about how perfect it was and how they had their act together. But it's important to note, it's very important to note, that much like the church of today, they were no strangers to conflict. And we see that here. We see it in a, a few places throughout Acts. We see the problems with Ananias and Sapphira. We see the Hellenistic Jewish widows, the complaints there. Later on, we'll see the split of Paul and Barnabas. There was a falling out there. But it's not even just in the New Testament that we see it. We see it since man was created, that there has been conflict. Throughout Israel's past, it, it happens constantly. A good example is, is the, uh, the sons of Korah. And Korah led a rebellion against Moses, doing what God had asked him to do. There was a rebellion amongst the people. There's conflict. That's just the way humans are. And it would be terrible to ignore that these events took place. Um, it's, it's an opportunity for us to learn Now, before I really get into it, I want to note that the words argument and debate are used quite a bit throughout when I speak today. 
Um, but we need to understand that's not always arguments and debates aren't always screaming matches. That's not what it's about. An argument is, this is my argument for this. It's just explaining your position. So I just want to make that clear. I'm not constantly talking about yelling and screaming at each other. Although we can do that once in a while too. So, real quick, we'll go through the story here. I don't want to dwell on the story too much. I want to dwell more on some of the principles that we see. In chapter 15, we're finding a great example of a conflict that happens within the church. We see that there's a contingent of Jewish, or, uh, Jewish Christians um, from Jerusalem who feel that Gentiles who are being ministered to and beginning to believe in Jesus, um, that they need to be circumcised in order to truly be saved. So then that sparks quite a debate. There's people who are upset about it. They feel that their view is right. Others don't. So they travel to Antioch to plead their case to the church there. The, the church where Paul and Barnabas are based of, out of, um, it seems to be that that's kind of the sister church. Um, so they head there and they, they want to talk about it. And Paul and Barnabas disagree with the view and the conversation ensues. So they're sent, Paul and Barnabas are sent off to have a council with the apostles, the leadership in Jerusalem. And along the way, they, uh, they're encouraged to hear that um, the other, other Christians, the other believers uh, within the communities along the way are very excited about what's happening with the Gentiles. So then they get to Jerusalem, and they're challenged by believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. They felt that, uh, that the Gentiles needed to fit the mold of their Jewish culture. They needed to be circumcised. And I could spend today talking about, yeah, should we or shouldn't we be circumcised? But I feel like we'd be missing the point. So they felt that, that they should be. They, they needed to fit the mold and follow the laws of Moses. And, and you know what? We, we do that today where we, we still put conditions on the faith walk of others. If they don't do exactly what we want, they don't fit into the church. So how then did they deal with this conflict? Um, there's three things, three things that I want to focus on, three things that uh, we can see from the example given to us here. So the first thing that we see is Peter explaining that they share something in common. All of them share something in common. Verses 8 to 9. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he makes no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So Peter here is referring to specifically his experience with Cornelius, where he was sent, and it really went against what he believed. We talked about that a few weeks back. I, it might have been before Christmas even. Time is blending together for me. But we've talked about that, about how God has opened up salvation to the Gentiles. It's not just for the Jews anymore. So, he talks about that. Um, and then he reveals 
Specifically, he goes back, uh, if we go back to verse 7, he reveals that God made a choice that the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And this wasn't something that Peter just chose to do of his own volition. God called him, God chose him to do this. He followed, if we go back to last week, he followed the lead of the Spirit. Because it was something that was completely, (laughs) he was unsure of, right? He was against it. But he did it because God was calling him to do it. So then we we remember that, that the Spirit descends on the Gentiles just as it did to those in the upper room. So the Spirit was made available to the Gentiles as well. Um, so, yeah, we really have to pay attention to that lead of the Spirit that we talked about last week. And if God is choosing to do work through a group of people, who, who are we to stand in the way? We let God lead the way. Because we have the Spirit in common, it's not just for us. It's not just for those who come to church on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis. The Spirit's for everyone. There are people who believe, and they have the Spirit as well. So Paul reiterates this in his letter to the Ephesians. We see him later on when he's, he's writing letters to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, 1 to 4, he says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit provides unity if we let it. The saving work of Christ is a unifying force. I talked about that when I, when I preached on Ephesians last summer. It's a unifying force. It's something that we all have in common in God's family. And this shared experience is key in framing our understanding on how we are united as Christ's body. So we need to let the, we need to let the Spirit lead us and remember that God's in control, not us. And that's, that's the first, that's one of the key things when we're, we're talking about conflict is understanding that, that the Spirit is in charge. The Spirit's leading. God is in charge. So once they've acknowledged the leading of the Spirit among them, they were able to have more of a discussion about the issue at hand. So throughout this account, there's evidence of the use of reasoning and logic in the debate. Verse 10 is a really good example of this. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither of our fathers nor we have been able to bear. So to understand how this is logical reasoning, I need to explain what is happening here. Um, We need to understand what exactly it is that Peter's saying. So we need to remember that the teachers often use the the word yoke um, to describe the law. So the law was the yoke. So the discussion really runs deeper than just circumcision of the Gentiles, or circumcision in general. Peter is referring to the whole Mosaic law. We're talking about the entire law. They said that they need to submit to the law of Moses. So his description of the law as unbearable here isn't a denial um, of it as a gift to Israel. The argument here just states that Israel was unable to fulfill it perfectly 
and that salvation was not obtainable through the law. And we see that. We've got, a, we've got a whole Old Testament full of them trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. Ultimately, they never actually are able to fulfill the law. So essentially, what the, the, the group from the Pharisees here are saying, and let, let's remember that too, that it's a group from the Pharisees who say, the law. All throughout Jesus' ministry, we see them referring to the law over and over again and, and how that's set up. Essentially, they held, that the, uh, they held the Gentiles to a standard that not even they could meet. So they're saying, yeah, we can't do it, but they have to in order to be saved. They are putting their own conditions on it, even though they can't meet it. It's really important to know. So then Peter goes on to explain that only through the grace of Jesus can we be saved. In verse 11, the Mosaic law didn't work. That system was broken. It did not work. It was a fantastic gift if people weren't flawed people. But we are. We are flawed individuals. So something new had to be established as a means for salvation. So Peter uses reasoned argument to explain that things have changed under the new covenant, that Jesus came and changed the way salvation works. If the system didn't work for them, why would they expect it to work for others? It's a great example of, of how conflicts can be approached because we can actually look at it and step back from, from our uh, feelings and emotions and look at it and be like, oh, okay, Here are, here's the pros and cons, so to speak, right? We can, we can actually look at it. I'm terrible with the words objective and subjective, but we can look at it from outside rather than from within. I can't remember which one's which. Um, so that's, that's a good example there. So that's uh, a second part of it. So we let God lead. We let God take the lead, let the Spirit be leading in it, and then we actually look at, at logic and reason behind it. And once they did that, once they established that they all had the spirit in common, and they looked at the problem logically, James takes the podium, pulpit. Pop, pulpit, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, he turns to scripture. He drew on the prophets to inform the question at hand. The prophets were their scriptures. So the words of the prophets were the passages that these Jewish Christians would have been familiar with. By using these scriptures, James was able to provide scriptural backing for the argument that had been made. It's in line with what we talked about last week. Our teaching needs to be spirit-led and grounded in the word. That was their word. That was their Bible at the time. They didn't have all of Paul's writings in one nice little volume that they could turn to, right? So they had the prophets. And we're given guidance by the Spirit if we're willing to see it. But we have to be willing to see it. Now, to be fair, the Jewish Christians who brought this about felt that they were backing their beliefs by scriptures. Let's be clear on that. They did feel that they were backing it by scripture, and they, they were. However, they were missing the big picture. 
they failed to take into account the work of Christ to which they claimed to believe. And that's something that we can often do to this day. We can miss the big picture and we can uh, fail to take into account what Jesus has done and what we're promised. And we can find scriptures that back our views but fail, into, uh, fail to take into account the context. How often have you had a conversation with somebody who says, well, the Bible says this. And you look at them and you're like, yes, but it also goes on to say this. There's more to it. We can often, like I said last week, we can cherry pick the things that make us feel good. And that's not the way that it works. By going through this process, the leadership in this story decides on a course of action and goes in that direction. It doesn't mean that everybody was happy with it at the end of the day. Um, They were still likely many who didn't agree. And I said this last week, I'll say it again, the enemy wants to derail God's work. When the Spirit is leading, we are doing what God is asking. The enemy wants to derail that. When God is driving the bus, the enemy will do everything they can to force the bus off the road. And in, in this case, that meant keeping this group from seeing the big picture. It meant making sure that there was division and not unity within the church. In the end, though, when conflict arises, we need to be able to be well-grounded in the Word and let our arguments be informed by Scripture. That's what it needs to be backed by. So at the end of the day, these examples of conflict resolution within the early church don't mean that all conflicts will be easily resolved. We know that. I've, I've, uh, I've spent time in, in management within large corporations, and I know that there is no one-size-fits-all fix for conflict resolution. It, it, and there can be some really... Uh, hmm, for, for offices, there can be some pretty barbaric warfare out there. And we're not immune to that as the church. We are not. The many denominations and doctrinal schools of thought that exist are evidence of this. How many different denominations do we have in the world? A lot. Different, and, and, and they're all Christian organizations. But because, oh, we believe this differently, we believe this differently, and so people go off in their own way. But we're not called to that. We're called to work through our differences and stick together as one unified body. So what does this all mean for me today? Again, there's three things that we can think about when we, when we look at conflict. And this isn't just within the church. We can look at this even within our own lives and how we deal with people um, on a personal basis. But we all need the Spirit to be present and lead us as we navigate conflict. We need to be looking at it and saying, what is God asking us to do? What does God want? And we don't need to succumb to our own emotions on a matter, but understand that God's hand is in all things, 
and will work them for his good. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we need to be able to have reason and logical discussions, not screaming matches, discussions about issues. As humans, though, our wonderful, flawed human nature, we can often overcomplicate these things and turn molehills into mountains. We can make things bigger than they actually are if we step back and look at it and take the time to, again, put God first in it. As the message translation puts it, we try to out-God God by putting rules of thumb in place without considering how they make sense within his kingdom. The big picture. God will make... Or God always makes more sense than we ever will. Fair enough? Human reasoning is flawed, again. So if we look to him, we will see what makes sense. Third thing. We have to be well-grounded in the word and understand what scripture says. If we're going to make an argument for something, it needs to be backed up by scripture, not by our desires and what we want. It's important to note here that we also need to understand the context of Scripture, not just what it says, because, again, we can take three words out of a whole verse and say, oh, well, it says this. Well, yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, what is it actually trying to tell us? We can't just quote it willy-nilly to meet our needs. All of this, again, points back to living a spirit-led life. We talked about that last week, and I keep going back to it, but it just plays so well into this. So when we let the spirit lead, we can work through conflict in a God-honoring way. And now I want to end off with a suggestion from Richard Rohr that suggests that um, when we're dealing with conflict, a good place to start is silence. I'm going to read that real quick here. Inside of silence, especially extended silence, we see that things find their true order and meaning somewhat naturally. When things find their true order, we know what is important, what lasts, what is real, what Jesus would call the reign of God or the kingdom of God, or in other words, the big stuff. All the rest is passing. All those things you were emotional about last Wednesday that you cannot even remember are emptiness. They have no lasting substance, and in that sense, they are not real. Feelings are, first of all, always about me, which gives us good self-knowledge, but also traps us in the very self if we do not use them to go further. My metaphor for Jesus' kingdom of God is simply the big picture. In the big picture, what really matters? When you are on your deathbed, what will matter? Will you be thinking about what you are arguing about now? To pull back from the tug of emotions and ego that wants to be right, wants to win, wants to put the other down, wants to humiliate the enemy, is the very heart of spiritual warfare. This is where we need to put our energy first. Instead of obsessing about theoretical or real moral issues 
that usually ask very little of us personally. Let's remember that we need the Spirit to lead us so that we can see the big picture and deal with conflict in a God-honoring way. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we just ask that we just ask that you enter into our lives, Father. We thank you for the examples that you've set for us. And we just pray that as we move through our lives, God, that you would enter in, Father, that we would let you lead, Father. That we'd look at the big picture, And say, does this really matter? What matters to you, God? And help us understand that we are flawed humans. We're never going to get everything perfect. Only you can make everything perfect. And that's why we need you to lead. So, Father, as we move throughout our lives... as we operate as a community of God, a body of of believers. Father, I just pray that you'd be with us. That you would help us and guide us through any conflicts that exist, that may come up. And Father, if this speaks to something from years ago for a person, God, I just pray that you would lend your hand to healing them in that, Father that you would use this to help them guide through and resolve that conflict. God, there's just there's, there's too much with us being human that, that can go awry. This isn't how you intended life to be, and we really mess it up a lot of times. So God, just be with us as we navigate that. And we give you control of that, Father. So, Father, bless those who are here today. Bless those who are listening online. And just be with us and lead us. Drive that bus, Father. In your name, amen. Thank you, everybody, for this morning. Um, If you need prayer at all, We'd love to pray for you. Let us know. Um, And before you go, I'll just send you off. So as, as those called by Jesus and those living a life of offering to God, go and walk the difficult walk of unity and let the Spirit lead you this week. Have a good week, everyone.